welcome to the Digiday Podcast. My name is Kaylee Barber, media editor at Digiday. And I'm Tim Peterson, senior media editor at Digiday. All right, Tim, so you had the first interview of the year um, with this episode, and you had Rich Routman on, who is the president of Minute Media, and I believe they just made their first tech-centric acquisition um, in 2021, hitting its 10-year anniversary. So in light of that, I'm curious why you were interested in having Rich on the podcast this week. Yeah, Minute Media is you know one of those media companies like the Washington Post and like Axios and Vox Media that's building up the tech side of the media company. So not only are they just publishing content, selling ads, and um, all of that kind of normal stuff you associate with media companies, but they also have this B2B side of the business. And like you mentioned, you know, Minute Media has been acquiring a bunch of media companies. They've acquired the Players Tribune, Mental Floss, Fan Sided, and, you know, 10 years into the game, they finally just made their first tech-centric acquisition. So we talk about that and how the tech side of the business figures into the broader business at this point. Yeah, definitely seeing a lot of kind of tech-focused interest from media companies. I'm curious if that'll be a trend this year, Uh, but I'll let you guys get into it. Thanks, Tim. Thanks, Caleb. Rich Ratman, welcome to the Digiday Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me, man. Really happy to be here. Absolutely. So we're talking towards the end of 2021. It's about mid-December as we're recording this. Um, So what I'm really curious when I'm talking to anyone this time of year is just like how their companies are different at this point in the year compared to what, you know, where you all were at in January 2021. So for Minute Media, what's different about Minute Media in December 2021 compared to January 2021? Yeah, that's a a pretty good question. Um, Yeah, I think that, you know, as a as a company like us matures, I think you you tend to focus a lot on execution, right? Because you have very specific goals that you want to achieve for the year. And while that's great, I think the reason why we've gotten to the place that we are today is because we've really always been focused on innovation. Right. So I think for us, the difference between the beginning of the year and the end of the year is the beginning of the year you're trying to you're nailing the plan, right? You created a plan for the year. You have to make sure that everybody's lining up and in the right direction to achieve that plan. But such a big part of what we're doing right now is the industry is always changing. And for us, I think it's what do we do with our business or inside of our business to continue to innovate, to continue to try to stay a step ahead. And I would say sometimes that's easier when you're a smaller business, right? You know, we're not a we're not a small business anymore. And you have to get a lot of people moving in the same direction at the same time. So I would say the beginning of the year is a lot around execution. Toward the end of the year, you're really thinking about what do the next few years look like, not what the next few months look like. And how do we position ourselves to take full advantage of what we do really well in that world? So what was it that you all were looking to execute in 2021? Obviously, there's budgets and there's growth and the growth KPIs against you know, the use of our technology, our organic brands. And, you know, so you have, you know, goals. Every brand has its own goal. I mean, Players Tribune has a differentiated goal, the mental floss, the fan sided. So I would say every one of those brands has its own specific KPIs that they're looking to achieve. We have our overarching, you know, revenue goals for the business, customer goals for the business. And, you know, and you, 
we're still pretty aggressive as an organization. So there's no layup goals in there. You know, if you come into the year and you feel like you're 80% there, you work at a big media company, you don't work in the media. Uh, so I would say our goals are really aggressive and we try to track against those through our quarterly OKR process, which we take very seriously. Um, and yeah, this year, by all accounts, was was really successful in that regard because you keep everybody on track. And so I think for us, it's we really manage the business through the quarterly OKR and objectives model. You have your annual ones that you look to achieve as well. But if you can live and breathe inside that quarter and make sure that you know those quarterly goals align with the annual goal, then we usually end up at the end of the year and we're pretty happy with where we are. You know, at the same time, and I'll tell you, Tim, some of the goals you put on paper may not make sense in six months and you have to be willing to shed those goals too, right? So, and create new ones. So I wouldn't say you want to manage it the right way, but you don't want to be too rigid where some things that you put down that don't make sense anymore still need to be achieved. What goals don't make sense anymore for you? Well, I think that, you know, um, what goals don't make sense for us anymore? I think that uh, there may be certain markets because, as you know, we're, we're very much a global business that you started out the year and you're looking at and saying, man, you know, Thailand is a huge priority for us because of X, Y, or Z. And you may have decided throughout the year, you know, we're going to really focus on our efforts in the U.S. and France and in Germany. So I would say there's certain markets that could end up taking a backseat in terms of priority because you can't do everything at one time. Um, there could be certain aspects of our technology that you decided to focus on, but then you know you found a really good external solution that you can plug in, so you don't need to build, right? So like what? Uh, so I think that you know um, we're big believers when it comes to Voltax, the uh, the technology side of our business, that you wanna you wanna build it in an open way, right? So there's going to be certain aspects of it that you feel like you do better than everybody else. And you need to rely as heavily as you can on those pieces of your own technology. And then there could be great bolt-ons, you know, there could be great semantic technologies that allow for interpage search and, and surfacing the right video content. You may build that yourself. You may plug a third party in, right? Um, there could be a great new header bidding technology around your tech stack that you don't want to build from scratch. But if you do, if you build it in a closed way, then it makes it a lot harder for you to be nimble because you know you want to have as many aspects of the stack be owned and operated aspects but there are companies that have invested lots of money just like we have into that specific area and if you can integrate them the right way and then focus on the core aspects of the infrastructure that you're really good at i think for us that's that's been kind of the way that we've approached things where we're proud of our products, but we're not too proud to also integrate best in breed products into our products to make them better. Got it. Okay. So when we're talking open, closed tech there, we're not talking like open source. You're putting the Voltex as a repo on No, GitHub. no. It's more about how we can integrate best in breed technologies into Voltex where they may be, you know, areas that we're choosing not to build exclusively ourselves. And in some ways, well, I guess for the first time, you all are kind of buying to build or buying as opposed to building you made your first tech focused acquisition and i think it was november when you all announced the acquisition of am i pronouncing it correctly wazimo uh yeah wazimo definitely wazimo. i think uh yeah i mean thus far if you kind of look at our track record it's obviously not our first acquisition it's our fourth but 
we've really focused on, you know, we acquired the Players Tribune, we acquired Fansider, we acquired Mental Floss, and those were direct-to-consumer brands, right? Um, and I think that, you know, for us, those have been, you know, great organizations that we brought into the company and great people as well. I think, um, you know, for us, it goes back to the point that you and I were just discussing earlier. Do you build or do you buy? And when it comes to technology, we've been in build mode. We felt like with the team that we have and with the expertise that we had at Nelson, there wasn't really anything that we were focused on that we couldn't build. And as we started working more closely with, with Wasimo, and obviously, you know, it's really important for every publisher to get their heads around and their arms around first-party data and to collect data and utilize the right technology to collect it. It could be a great bolt-on to Boltex. So for us, as you know, the development pipeline around something like that is not two months because otherwise we would have built it ourselves, right? It was going to take us a long time to catch up. Uh, they've done a great job. They actually, they're, and when you look at what they were f- going to build for the future, that also got us really interested. It's not just what people have now, it's what their plans are going forward. So it definitely was our first technology focused acquisition, but I think it's a technology that doesn't just apply to us. We also can utilize it with all of our B2B partners. Right? So uh, that's what gets me excited about is how not just what technology we own, but what technology we can scale you know, by virtue of that ownership. What exactly is the technology that Wasmo brings to the table? Because I feel like a lot of times these different tech platforms are described using the same terms. And to me, they all start sounding the same. So with Wasmo, again, what are they bringing to the table for you? Yeah, I think so. It's it's a lot around BI. It's a lot around audience segmentation. Um, and it's a lot about data collection. And then figuring out how those three products together enable you to do audience development on a more efficient basis. Right. So I think that there's there's lots of audience development products out there. There's there's lots of CMSs, there's lots of VMSs. I mean, we happen to own two out of those three. But when it comes to the collection and management of first-party data, when it comes to how do you utilize that to do the right types of audience development around your brands and to the extent you're part you're powering other brands, we just felt like these guys had a really nice mousetrap that they built up. And it was an area that we wanted to further invest in. I mean, BI, I mean, if you think we manage the OKR process in terms of our quarterly goals, we like data, right? And, you know, we try to use it to make informed decisions around the business all the time. And so for us, this was kind of a natural extension to an area that we were already focused on. Yeah, because what had you all been already doing on first-party data before making this acquisition? Yeah, I think like everybody else, I mean, obviously it's a it's a very hot topic. We have lots of users. Um, you know, I think that we're not a subscription business, so people don't have to log in and provide their first name, last name, email address for us to be able to be in contact with them. But we've, I'd say, we've been smart about it. I would say that we're not, we have not been as successful in it as we would have hoped to have been. Right, and I think if we had, we Why obviously wouldn't. I mean, we. You know, there's only so many things a business can focus on at one time, right? You know, we're we're launching a new markets, we're acquiring other companies, we're furthering Voltax, we're growing revenue 100 percent year over year, we're we're focused on the next iteration of video consumption. I would say if you try to do all those things at once, you materially will fail. You know, I, I've always been a big believer that uh, you know, digital media is about the bets you choose not to make. Not, you know, because you can make a ton of them and then some of them will work out and some of them won't, right? But if you can stay focused on at least three or four things that you do really well, 
you can definitely bolt on the right assets when the timing is right. And I think for us, you know, we clearly, we've been focused on first party data and data management for years, right? We needed to do it better. And I think that- In what ways? Oh, we needed to work. I mean, the business was, the business is much bigger, right? Um, And when it comes to data management and BI tools and how you leverage that for audience segmentation uh, and otherwise, I would say that for us, what we may have built when we first were going down that path probably wasn't as scalable as we needed to be today, right? So, um, so A, we needed to do it better. B, we needed to have differentiated technology efforts associated with it, right? Versus the team that's focused on Voltax and building video products and content monetization products and otherwise. So it was a way for us to just build a, and really bring in a best in class team that will focus on this rather than them being it being part of a team that's focused on a much larger project, right? So um, it's as much as it is about the technology that they have today, it's also about bringing that expertise in-house. And when did you all start looking at making an acquisition to help you out on the first-party data front? Oh, I would say we we ended up on uh, first-party data, but we are inquisitive or acquisitive all the time. Um, I think that... Uh, you know, we're a business that believes in making types of deals like that happen. You can make commercial deals all day long. And we do, you know, with with partners, with publishers, with people in technology. But then there's, you know, actually our relationship with Wasimo was initially born out of a commercial relationship. That's how you get to know somebody, right? So I think for us, we're we're always looking at new acquisitions. We're probably, I mean, to be fair, we're we're definitely sent at least one a week of a deal to look at, you know, I would say most of the time we pass to be fair. Um, but there's a lot of assets out there in digital media right now, most of which you could argue there may be a tangential fit somehow to what we do. Um, but, um, yeah, we didn't wake up and decide we want to acquire our first party data business. It was more, you know, we've gotten to know these guys really well. We like what they do and we think it could be really complementary to the products that we have today are you guys interested in exploring more than a commercial relationship with us? And I think that that's how those conversations tend to take place. One of the reasons I ask about the timeline on that is because in some ways, so much has changed this year with when it comes to first party data and identity and the third party cookie. And, and mainly I'm talking about Google's decision to extend the lifespan of the third party cookie or yeah. kind of that window for a couple of years. And so whether that's something where when you're looking at a first-party data-related acquisition in the first half of the year, kind of pre the extension, yeah, the I would say that, extension, you know, these, whether it these, changes. These things take tend to take a while, right? You know, um, so yes, there were some conversations in the in the earlier part of the year, but I would say it wasn't largely contingent on what was going on with Google. I mean, if you're if you kind of think about us, I mean, data privacy laws in the U.S. are very different than they are in a lot of other markets. And I think that when we look at data management, it's not for Google or anybody else. It's to manage our nuances of being a global business and having language additions in in France, which is different than the UK and how Latin America is doing it versus the US. So we needed to just bring a platform in-house to help us navigate through a lot of those issues. So Google extending the cookie was not a bad thing, of course. Um, but I would say the two decisions were entirely independent of those things because for us it was making sure when you know California has what they do but I can assure you there's lots of markets in Europe and Asia that have what they do as well so 
it was more about just getting very sophisticated around it and hopefully giving ourselves, I would say, optionality because we have a product that can manage it. Yeah. And I mean, the privacy landscape, even in the US. It's a mess in the US. You could only imagine when you have 13 different language editions, it starts to get really messy. So we, we needed to own it is really what it comes down to. Because, you know, I think to your point around or to what I mentioned earlier, optionality is a really important thing in, in your business and ours and otherwise. And I think if you rely too heavily on a third party service for that, we think you're you're doing yourself a disservice. So, you know, that's that's how we generally look at these things. Got it. Going back to the business and well, what are you all going to end revenue with for 2021? Uh, you know, obviously uh, still a private company, so we can't go too deep into the exact numbers, but it's... Uh, it's well, not, you can, you just yeah, choose not to. Yeah, but it's it's uh, it's nine figures. Uh, so our revenue is not insignificant. And over the last five years, the business has grown, you know, 100% a year. So it's, um, you know, it's... It's we're really proud of the number, but I don't think we measure, you know, how productive we're being as an organization exclusively based on how much our revenue is growing. Because there's a lot of companies that do a lot of revenue that are not necessarily businesses that I would aspire to be a part of. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're we're still moving in the right direction. The growth factor is something I look at and I, you know, want to make sure the growth is coming from the right areas. You know, so for us, if if man, if our display business was growing at 300% a year, I wouldn't really care. Right? That's not an area of the business that we're, you know, get wake up in the morning and get really excited to build a huge display business. It's I want to understand where our customer growth is. I want to understand if the customers are getting onto new products of ours because I want to see growth from our existing customer base. And obviously, we want to deliver upwards of 200 in revenue. That's, you know, we're a real business now. But is your growth coming from the right areas? And for us, that's that's how we tend to wake up and think about these things every day. Got it. So at least two hundred million then in revenue. I mean, I I can't answer the question exactly, but you know, you you know, you should assume we're in that general. That is, our business is. Uh, I I'd like to think, you know, yes, we are in that general trajectory. Okay. Yeah. Cause I mean, in January, 2020, I believe you told my colleague, Max Willens, the expectation at that point was at least a hundred million in revenue for 2020. Obviously this is 2020 we're talking about. Um, but then if, if you hit that number. Yeah. And, and everything I've always told Max, you know, we've, uh, we've delivered on, so you should assume that we're in that same boat, you know, uh, listen, the pandemic actually, um, accelerated some of our thinking around the business. I think that, Yes, there was a little bit of worry, like there should have been for everyone around what was going to happen, especially around our sports business and otherwise. But I've been I've been pleased with how the business has responded to it and it hasn't slowed down our growth, which is good. So we are definitely still moving the business in a in the right, I wouldn't say uh anything but a positive direction. Got it. Are you all profitable? Um, the business is, you know, again. We just made a big acquisition. We still have acquired some other assets. You know, the business is uh, flat. You know, uh, I, I think at this stage of the business, we're 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 more interested in margin than profitability, because we're not done making acquisitions. Right. So anytime you acquire a business, it's not just acquiring the business and its profitability. It's how much are you going to invest into that business once you acquire them to get them from point A to point, you know, D. Right. So. If you buy a business solely on the basis of its profitability today, it's probably not going to be that profitable tomorrow. 
a lesson to invest into. We're not a private equity firm, right? So um, most of the acquisitions that we've made, I mean, you can even see it with the Players Tribune, we're significantly investing in the asset because we believe in it. And if that means we're going to lose a little bit of money now, that's sweet. We believe that's the right strategy when it comes to certain aspects of it. But yeah, so I would say break even uh, is really where we're focused on being right now. Um, but, you know, the the days of investing millions of dollars to grow the business every year and, and shedding that capital are kind of are behind us at this point. It's more about how we choose to deploy the capital. Um, because for us, we're, we're deploying it through M&A, we're deploying it in technology. And we're employing it through beefing up our teams in certain strategic areas that we think makes sense. And you mentioned, you know, profit versus margin. And I want to, you know, I'm hoping you can help me to understand that. Because I think when I hear margin, I generally just kind of fill in the blank of, oh, we're talking about profit margin. And so it seems like there's a distinction here that I'm not quite familiar with. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, obviously you can think about the business through the lens of EBITDA. Or you can think about, you know, uh, the business through the lens of, you know, we have a lot of sunk investment in this business, right? The business employs um, a lot of people. The business is building and has a huge R&D budget, right? The business is building new brands from the inside and acquiring brands from the outside. So when I think about margin, I look at the different businesses that we're in. We're in the technology business. Let's look at Voltex on a standalone basis and understand after our amortization of the technology over the next whatever period of time, what does this business do margin-wise? How, how is it performing? Right? How much, and if I need, if we look at it and we're saying, if we infuse the business with more capital today, what does that business look like in five years from now? All right, so I'm really interested in understanding operating margin of each of our individual assets. How does fan-sided look on an operating margin basis? Because it has a lot of shared resources, right? It has finance and HR that come from central, right? So yes, we can look at overarching profitability, but because we're in a number of different areas, you know, you want to look at, is this tactic or is this asset or is this technology performing well on an operating margin basis? Are the people that are charged with it doing the smart things for the business in order to, you know, make it profitable today or in the future, right? Um, So we have profitable assets, right? But there are also certain assets that we're investing into because we want to grow the operating margin of those assets for, for the future, right? Otherwise, you could just leave them alone and pull out the profitability and be happy. I would say that's probably not the business that we're in today. We're going to take a quick break to hear from our sponsor, and we will be right back. With the media properties you all have acquired, like I think Players Tribune was notoriously unprofitable. How do you manage profits or get to a point of profitability with the media companies that you now own? Well, I think that, you know, uh, yes, Players Tribune definitely, uh, there was a lot of information out there in the market about its lack of profitability. But as you know, um, and I'm not telling you anything in notes, Tim, most publishing businesses on a standalone basis struggle to get pro- to profitability. It's a big investment. It's a big investment in tech. It's a big investment outside of producing content that's not the lion's share of the investment that is required to make a publishing business profitable. Um, so I think because a lot of the resources that were essentially third-party expenditures for Players Tribune were actually resources that we own, it immediately was able to strip out some cost in the business that was weighing the business down, right? So we have our own you know, technology that can 
power the site, power all the distribution relationships. You know, you obviously you have your own business office and every publishing business needs an accountant. They need a lawyer. They need a business manager. You know, we were able to centralize a lot of those costs. Now there's not any secret sauce to doing that, but it certainly takes a big burden off the table for uh, a small to mid-sized publishing business. Um, so I think the first year really with the Players Tribune, we knew that we had acquired a great asset, a great brand, great connection and trusted connection to the athlete community. And I think for us, it was, let's take stock in what we have here and let's make sure that, you know, we preserve that relationship with those athletes and with the team, because it's going to take some time to get a business like this over the hump, right? If you try to do it too fast, you can ruin it, right? So I think that for us, it was, all right, now let's move them over to our platform. Now let's launch them in other markets. And I think that that scaling story of, you know, players should be in Japan and then what we're doing now in Latin America, how the new verticals of content around players Tribune, and then how you commercialize those efforts and how you do different things in digital audio. I think it's, it's helped the business be more nimble and be on more solid footing than it was previously because the investments that they had to make on an ongoing basis into technology or otherwise don't exist. They're covered, right? Um, but I think it is about providing that stability because once we were able to get to that point, we were able to start thinking about what we should be doing going forward. For Minute Media, your revenue kind of breaks down into two primary buckets. There's the advertising revenue, and then there's the technology revenue, the you know revenue from Voltax. Mm-hmm. How is that breaking down? Like, what are what's the percentage breakdown between those two sources at this point? Yeah. So uh, the B two B side of our business is you know it's seventy percent of our revenue. And, uh, you know, uh, I think that it'll end up this year. It's almost 70%, let's say 60 ish percent of our revenue. Um, it's a big part of our business. I mean, when you, you know, I think we're, we're as much of a tech company as we are a publishing business. And if you would kind of think about our strategy going forward, you're going to see us make, make much bigger investments in tech. I think, yes, we'll look at publishing opportunities, but we're making much more investments in tech these days than we are into you know, the buying of a new publishing brand. Um, So um, the the B2B side of our business continues to scale really well. The direct-to-consumer side of our business is really stable and continues to grow as we establish ourselves as a brand in the market and as our, you know, when a World Cup year comes to life and we're one of the biggest soccer publishers in the world, you should assume that, you know, we're going to do pretty well on the direct-to-consumer side. But B2B and the scaling potential you get from it on the back of what we think are really strong products, um, you know, it not only fuels the the B two B side of the business, but those same products are made available to our own properties, and it helps fuel their growth as well. When did that flip the revenue share? Because two years ago, you all were at seventy percent advertising, thirty percent B two B. Well, I would say it's it's not flipped because there's a portion of the B two B revenue that is also advertising by nature, right? So. A lot of our B2B relationships aren't pure license fees. And I think that that actually makes our product more attractive to publishers than the traditional SaaS model is when we, you know, publishers using X technology and they choose to go with our platform instead, we're not simply charging a license fee to get access to our technology. We're also sharing revenue. And if that publisher has the capacity to grow, we're going to grow with them, right? And 
publisher businesses are largely ad supported. So we share in the ad revenue. And in some cases, we take the lead on advertising. So the B2B revenues, I would say, as we become more flexible in our business model, have grown significantly on the back of being B2B deals on a rev share basis um, supported by advertising or B2B revenues on a license fee basis. But the B2B business as a whole is larger than the Ono brands, I guess is the, I just want to make sure I'm being very clear about how those two things are differentiated. Got it. Okay. So then, you know, B2B not like cutting out the advertising revenue, is that still a majority of revenue? Um, B2B cutting out the advertising revenue, it's it's probably still around the same portion So uh, that we spoke about the last time. It's probably right around 30%. And it's obviously the B2B business as a whole has grown to about 65, 70% because of the flexibility of the business model to include an ad supported model that we also share with the publishers. And the deals that you have with publishers, are they all kind of this mixed model where there's a licensing fee, but also a rev- ad revenue share agreement? Well, it really depends on where you you know think you can extract the most value for yourself and for the partner. I mean, uh, you know, if you ask me, you know, um, if one of uh, the other services in the market, let's just say uh, your ad server, okay, if the company that you pay for ad serving you know, uh, charged you $20,000 a month, but you thought the opportunity with that publisher, if you took some risk, was $100,000 a month, you'd probably opt for the $100,000 model all day long, right? So I think that for us, we size up each individual deal. We try to understand what the capacity is for that publishing partner. And more often than not, we're on the betting side of that deal, right? I'd rather go into a relationship that has a lot more upside than a $20,000 or $100,000 a month license fee. I want to drive millions of revenue, All right? So for us, we it's really about analyzing each individual situation and trying to come to a decision based on the scaling potential of that publishing partner. Yeah, it reminds me of you know streaming services where a lot of the streaming services want people to be on their ad-supported paid subscription tiers as opposed to the ad-free paid subscription tiers because they get more revenue that way. I think Discovery's talked about this recently. Yeah, and you know, and a lot of publishers, I mean, you know, it's one of the downsides with uh, I would say a lot of the SaaS products that you get offered as a publisher is they all cost something. You know, uh, I'm not saying free products are good um, because usually there's a, a catch that comes with something that's free. Um, but if the other party you know, in our case, us or whoever we're working with, if there's some shared risk rather than them just paying us as a vendor, I think these things turn out a lot better. Um, so when there's when we show folks that we're willing to invest alongside of them, and this is simply not eliminating a line for their PL and replacing the technology, I think we get the kind of cooperation that that we hope for. Minute Media, you all recently celebrated your 10-year anniversary. As a company, um, you've raised more than $200 million from investors at this point. And uh, I think, you know, fall of 2021, you brought in on FanDuel as an investor and I think the most recent round as of now. Um, and then in June of 2021, Bloomberg reported that the company was working with Goldman Sachs to see about going public possibly in 2021. Um, there's still a couple of weeks left in 2021, but at this point, it doesn't look like Minute Media will be going public this year. Have the plans changed or the timeline changed? You know, I think that, um, listen, there's obviously the story that was out there from from Bloomberg and, 
you know, we've actually had a relationship with Goldman Sachs that is, I w- wouldn't say 10 years old, but uh, a number of years old. Um, you know, I think, I think it's natural for people in the industry in general to speculate about companies of our size, especially those that continue to see, you know, continue growth over what, you know, you'd argue is kind of turbulent times in media. But I don't want to share, uh, nor, nor can I share any, you know, plans right now about a future IPO or, or anything along those lines. I would say for us, um, it is a natural train of thought given the business has been around 10 years and continues to be positioned well and continues to grow. Um, but not necessarily something, you know, that, you know, there's very few people in the business that are fo- focused on that corporate development effort. It's the same team that focuses on looking at businesses that we can acquire and bring into our into our company. Um, so for us, it's uh, we have our plan. You know, our plan is around continuing to growth, and if the market recognizes that in some way, shape, or form through an IPO or otherwise, at some point in the future, we're happy to listen, especially when it comes from smart people like the guys at Goldman Sachs. What's your assessment of the market at this point? Because obviously, we've had the BuzzFeed. Um, stock market debut now. It has not gone as well as certainly BuzzFeed would have hoped. And I think others in me- at other media companies would have hoped BuzzFeed would have gone to kind of pave the path for everyone else. And then a couple hours before we started this interview, the Wall Street Journal reported that Vox Media and Group 9 Media are in advanced talks to merge. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I obviously I've, I've followed the news with, uh, with the BuzzFeed. Um, you know, it is a very interesting situation. You know, the raise of capital, the use of it for complex and otherwise. Um, you know, I'm sure everybody you speak with, Tim, will tell you how they're different uh, and how, you know, the same rules wouldn't necessarily apply to them and so on and so forth. But I, I really do, when I say that, you know, I, I really do feel like we are different. I mean, even when I break down the revenue mix, you know, for us, we're, we're a B2B technology company we happen to have publishing assets that we're really proud of and that drive strong revenues and continue to grow for us in the future. But when I don't really compare us to a BuzzFeed at all, you know, I think that's probably, it represents a portion of our business, not what we do on an, uh, entirely. And the B2B tech sector is actually really strong right now, comparatively in the, in the public markets. Um, and I think when you have that backbone inside of your business, like we do today, it only can make your publishing assets stronger. Um, so for us, we're following it closely, but we're not 100% sure that those are the right comparables for us, right? Uh, so it's it's something we monitor, but something that uh, I wouldn't say I wake up in the morning worried about how BuzzFeed stock is trading because you know I don't think it's an apples to apples comparison. To get others to buy into that, though, like seeing Minute Media as a tech company, wouldn't you then need to get to a point where advertising is not your primary revenue stream? I mean, I think it's how you use the technology, right? I mean, I, um, so, I mean, Amazon's a tech company that's, that's generating north of a billion dollars in advertising now, right? So, you know, that's, they put their technology and their data work to create a, an advertising business. Um, you know, for us, without technology, there wouldn't be a way for us to commercialize it. If we chose to go down the path of exclusively SaaS, we could do that. But I think that because we've cho- chosen to go down the path of it's a SaaS hybrid model that also can work on a rev share, 
it's given us a lot more scalability scalability inside our advertising business. So um, plus I'd also say that the the part of the advertising mix that we tend to focus on because Voltax is a video technology, video monetization and video growth is not slowing down. Right? We're not a content recommendation business. We're not a display business. You know, we're we're a video technology business that also has, you know, written word editorial tools, but, you know, 80% of our ad revenues come from video, right? So uh, I've become less concerned about influencer monetization and Facebook marketing and those other elements. We're focused on the area of the market that is still experiencing explosive growth, right? You know, video is not slowing down. You know, you're seeing a convergence of what screens people are consuming video on, but video as a whole is certainly not positioned for, you know, a slow growth potential given the given everything that's happening in the market. Right, and a lot of the video money is increasingly going to TV or yeah, ads it's, it's going running to, on TV screens. It's going on TV screens. It's obviously you know I think we all saw the same thing. It went from linear. It went to cable. It went to online video on the desktop. Then it went to online video on a mobile phone. Now we're seeing, you know, CTV experience explosive growth. I think for us, you know, we still th- feel like video is a, a very safe and particular area that has a lot of upward mobility. Yes, we're building connected TV tools. Yes, we're expanding our business into, you know, the TV screen at large, but we're doing it through the lens of digital. We're not a broadcast business. Right? And I think if you can scale video as a digital business, you know, I think that that's, a, you know, for us, it doesn't feel like there's any erosion you know, coming anytime in the near future. It's, I, I don't know what you would say, but uh, do you look at BuzzFeed as being a video business or do you look at BuzzFeed being a publishing business or a social publishing business? I think the two things are very different. So for us, it's it's really, it doesn't concern me very much at this point. What all are you guys doing on Connected TV at this point? So I think that it's, uh, it's definitely a good question. We clearly don't own, you know, uh, any scalable, CTV assets in our business today. Uh, you know, you should assume that we're we're being we're we're building really interesting technologies for CTV, but it's also an area of the space that we're we're looking at for through an you know through the MA lens. Um, but where it makes sense and it would fit into our existing either technology or publishing business. Um, we have a lot of our content running on you know, television screens, you know, Players Tribune and uh, the Netflix series and various other things that we're doing in terms of distribution and monetization. But for us, you know, I think you'll see uh, a really interesting CTV play come from us in the next few months and something that, you know, we spent a lot of time preparing for and hopefully something that positions us really well for the future thereafter. So to wrap up, I was going to ask, you know, and kind of a parallel to the opening question, what you expect to be the biggest difference with Minute Media in 2022? Would CTV be your answer or do you have a different answer? I mean, CTV is is super important to us, um, not just because of where the industry is and because the you know, monetization is moving in that direction. But if we want to be a holistic you know, video technology partner to, to our partners, we obviously you know, we need to think holistically. It's not just about online video. It's not just about mobile. It's not just about social, you know, CTV has to play a large role there. And so for us, it's, it's, it's making sure that we can deliver on that promise. I think we're, we're seeing, 
the amount of scale that's now coming through, you know, um, our brands as it pertains to sports betting and the large sports betting opportunity that exists in the U.S. We're experiencing that with FanDuel. We're experiencing that with our partners at Win, And we're going to continue to get smarter uh, around, you know, sports betting as a whole. It's why we launched BetSided and, you know, have a lot of initiatives on the first party data front. So I think when you think about our priorities for, for 2022, it's, you know, yes, we want to get better at CTV and more than likely uh, do something really interesting there. Um, we're going to continue to invest heavily into our mobile betting and, you know, betting content experiences across the board. We're going to take full advantage of the World Cup. We're really excited about it. It's a, it's a market position that gets us out of bed whenever the World Cup uh, is coming up. Um, and first party data. I think that those are four things that, you know, I know that there's a lot of granular goals that sit underneath them, but, you know, for us, if we could just come out of 2022 with doing those four things right and the rest of the business continue to naturally grow, uh, I think that we're going to have a lot of opportunities in front of us. Right. Plus, it goes back to your point earlier around, you know, the decisions you make on what not to do or what not to be focusing on. Yeah, I mean, I was, uh, I won't say what company I was at, but I was at a uh, company probably, you know, 12 years ago. And I was at the the management meeting and there was about 50 of us, the managers were all together. And our CEO got up there and told us, these are the 18 priorities that we have for this year. And I knew that the company had no shot at success. You have 18 priorities coming into the year. You are, you know, you're distracted. Not everybody's aligned. You know, for us, if we have three to five key ones and we inhale 80% of them, we know we've crushed it, right? So I think, you know, for us, it's about narrowing the focus and doing it really well rather than, you know, going after podcasts or going after any new particular area that we think we can we can get after you know we may not you know there are guys who do it better than us and it's going to be hard to catch up right so i think it's it's more about choosing your bets and for us i think i made the areas that we're betting on pretty clear absolutely all right well rich really appreciate you coming on the show thanks again hey thank you man listen i love your stuff anytime you want to talk you know you let me know and thank you for listening to the Digiday Podcast. Please don't forget to share this episode with someone who you think would enjoy it. You can even rate us on Apple Podcasts if you like. We'll be back next week with another episode. Music.